You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. I, I, I'm, I just love the fact that you, you know, we, can, we can go through Scripture, and I, I was speaking to Francho yesterday, and he was just telling me how much he's just loving and enjoying Daniel at the moment. And, you know, it's just like amazing, you know, and um, he gave me some really great information, really great. Wait until he's gone in a couple weeks' time, I will go, guess what, guys? Let me show you and tell you something. You know, it's like, you know, um, but all absolutely amazing and, and good and great. And, and is that going to blow over as well? Yeah, John 3.16. Fant- How did you know? Fantastic. So, it, 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 yeah, so it, it, yeah, so it is on my, it's on my masks, it's on my t-shirts, it's on a whole load of, of different things. Um, but I'm wanting to... Shit, Jane, do you mind if I borrow one of your clips? Um, my notes are blowing around, and thank you, fabulous. Now, I want to teach you on John 3:16, but everybody knows John 3:16. How and blaze John 3:17 on our shirts and on our masks and everything. And so I want you to carry on with John 3:16, John 3:17, because it it really is the ability to have outreach and to minister and love the world is to understand not only that we call to love the world, but why are we called to love the world? It's not just so we can love people and you know to fill up our time because we've got nothing else to do. But it's just so exciting, you know. It's just like oh yeah, bring it on. And so it's, our, our, you know, people during the past week have said, you know, what do you do? You go, oh no, he's my pastor. I go, actually not. I'm the lover. You know, and they go, awkward. And they're not your lover. I'm everybody's lover. You know, I'm called to be the greatest lover on the face happy. That's what a great lover I'm called to be. Miracles. And people go, oh, okay. Let me pour you a drink. We cannot do what God has called us to do if we don't have an understanding of what is that we're wanting to do it. And so I've gone through some of the most incredible examples and, and people in Scripture. But this morning I want you to, to go back up and have a bird's eye view. I want you to go back and have a, a, a father, the, the, the father's view of what it is to be able to, to love people. And I don't want to do it with a, a sense of presumption or arrogance when I say I'm trying to share the, the, the father's heart this morning. I really am. What's your heart? So that we can go and love with your heart. Not my heart, not Joan's heart, not even Brachy's heart. But how, how can we love people with, with your heart so we, ha- we, we, we get it right? And I said earlier on, we, we can quote John 3.16 so quickly and we can quote it so e- easily. You know, I've got it on, on, my, on my mask. You know, I've got John 3.16. We've got it on our, sh- on our shirts. We have it as bumper stickers on our cars. You know, as I said, some people even have it tattooed on their, thi- on their, on their thighs. They think it gives them more power when they go into a ring to go and box. You know, John 3.16. Uh, you all know who I'm talking about, I think. Um, and it's, it's the, the favorite scripture that we have out of Sunday school. John 3.16. For God gives us into so much more, more context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... So to ever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
And as believers, we, we know that scripture and we quote it and we get a chocolate at Sunday school if we get that right. But we seldom go on to verse 17. For God did not send a son into the world to love the world so that they may be saved. The Father's heart is not to bring judgment or condemnation to the world, but to show outrageous love to the world so that all may be saved. You know, God loves the world. God loves all that he created. And Father God is still so in love with humanity. God hasn't given up on loving the world because we have corruption or disease or famine or disagreements. God hasn't turned his back on the world because there is war or chaos or things around. God hasn't given up on the world because there are people that have given up on him. God still loves the world and all that he created. And Father God gave his only son. You know, if, it's like giving your last Kit Kat or your last arrow. Now, it, it wasn't just he gave his last. God didn't have an heir and a spare. He gave everything that he get, had. His only begotten son. And sometimes we can even gloss over that, that he gave up everything and it wasn't to condemn the world but to save the world it wasn't to go and tell the world everything that they were getting wrong it wasn't to go and bring judgment to the world it's not our cosmic bobby on the beat it's not our justification to go and to explain to the world all the shortcomings and failures that they're up to so we can quote John 3.16, but we have to tag it on to John 3.17. God loved the world, not to bring condemnation, but to bring salvation. And for me, this shares and, and illustrates so much of the Father's heart. The Father's heart is to love people into kingdom. Son the very incarnation of who he is, not to prove they're wrong but to, or to declare how bad they are, but to demonstrate the goodness and the outrageous love of a loving Father. And I shared last week, friends, we can't love a world that we are at war with. We can't in one hand have condemnation for something and declare war on something and then still say, I'm wanting to bring salvation and hope and breakthrough. And so, Stu, what do you mean when you say, you know, we're at war with things, we're at war with the world? But I want to suggest that even in the church, there are some prevalent thoughts that do the church versus us and that the church is at war against the world. And I think holy, I am more holy, you know, but that's the exact opposite of what true holy is. You're holy because you set apart in Him. You're not holy because you've been set apart from the world. You're holy because you've been positioned into Jesus Christ. You're not holy because you're better than anybody else. You're holy because of your standing in Father God and where you, where you are and your identity is. And friends, I think so often we create this, this wrong perception that it's us versus them. That we have it and they don't. That if only you listened to me, if only you did what, you, what, what, what I think, if only you came right. And so we've created this thing that is right over relationship. 
Then the kingdom of heaven is not about being right. It's about relationship. It's about being restored. And so sometimes our focus becomes all about, about being right. We get consumed with our standing in the church versus our standing in Jesus. What does the church think? What does the church look like? What does the church do? What's the church's position? And say, Lord, where do I stand in you on these matters? I would suggest that the world would, I would suggest that the world's perception would be that the church is more intent on making a statement than a friend. Most people in the world would believe that the church is here to create a statement rather than to create a let's not let's stop, let's stop making declarations before we're willing to make a friend and love somebody into the kingdom of God. And, and the reality is I've been guilty about this and I think if we're honest, most of us have been guilty about this. But we think, if, if only I can prove my point, you'll run into the arms of Jesus. If I can explain to you how bad you are, you'll fall. To explain all that you're doing wrong, and I know that you'll rush directly into the floodgates of heaven. But the reality for most people, it doesn't work like that. People want to see somebody who's going to love them and carry them into the kingdom. It's about carrying people, not condemning people. And then we have the audacity to say, why does the world not like the church? When the church, by and large, doesn't like the world. I think if we're honest, in, in a lot of non-church, non-Christian, non-religious circles, if we had to put up our hands and say... I'm a Jesus follower. I go to church regularly. I'm totally blind. It's not a healthy restorative. Oh my goodness. You, you're one of those. You're going to judge and condemn. You're going to find fault. You're not going to welcome me. You're going to make me jump through the hoops. Whereas when we put up a hat and say, I'm a Jesus freak. I'm a Jesus lover. Then people should be able to say, you are my safe place. You are my refuge. You're the place where I go for help, for restoration. You're the place that I want to fund, to feed, to uplift, to encourage. I'm so glad that we have got one of you on our board, in our classroom, in our shopping center. Our believers, we get shunned because we're guilty by association. Our things because we've created a war over agenda. Am I willing to invest with you without an expectation of a return? Am I willing to invest with you with no strings attached? Am I prepared to give up of my time to just to go and to love you and to honor you and to serve you? Before I connect with you, before I have coffee with you, before I go the extra mile with you, the reality is most people want to know, well, what is your goal? What is your gender? Especially if you are a believer. As soon as people know I'm a pastor, as soon as I say, can I get together and have a, a meal with you? The default is either I already go to church, so I'm not coming to your church, or I don't go to church and I'm still not coming to your church. Because people still think that believers have an agenda 
and it overrides, I just want to love you into the kingdom of heaven. I mentioned last week that there are so many people at the moment for them. Why I'm wanting to connect with them. Why I'm wanting to have a meal with them. Why I'm wanting to phone them. Why I'm wanting to encourage them. Because they are convinced that there must be an agenda. Stu, why do you want to spend time with me? Why do you want to invest in me? What is it that you want back from me? What do you, do you want from me? And so we give this impression that there needs to be change. I'm going to love the world. I'm going to love people out there. I'm going to go into dark places because there has to be change. But the change all has to happen on your side. The change has to be yours. And I want to suggest that, friends, sometimes the change has to be ours. Oh, Lord, won't you change me so that I can step over that line? Won't you step me so that I can minister without an agenda, so I can love without an expectation? I can go to my Nineveh, so I can go to the people in the places I'm uncomfortable with, so that I can bring restoration and hope and salvation and breakthrough. Father God, won't you change me before you change, Lord, won't you change them? Change them, Lord. Because they must become more like me for me to love them, to embrace them, to enjoy them, to have them over into, into my home. I said last week that religion draws lines. This is where religion will go and go no further. This is where the church will go and go no further. This is where I'm prepared to tolerate you, but I cannot tolerate you anymore. I'm prepared to go this far with you, but no more. I draw the line with what I can do for you. The people of Jesus, lovers of the world, step over the line and say, I'm going to go the extra mile in order to belong. If you believe what I believe, and you think like I think, you can belong to what I belong to. If only you do one, two, and three, then I'll help you do four, five, and six. But I can't help you unless you change, unless you do what I'm calling you to do. I'm putting in bunch, I'm putting in a line. Which Jesus loves to say, actually, I'm going to cross over that line. I'm going to morse, morse? With, with the line in order to see people come to Jesus. And then friends, I think sometimes we, we declare war with the world over color. And this way everyone gets like nervous. Stu, don't go down this road. Especially after this week, you can't mention color. But we do. The world is dark and I'm not. Then I'm clean, you dirty. Is Darkness and light are the same to you. Light, when he looks at his people, I've placed you at the table with your home group. Isn't that just so nice? God is so committed to home group. But if we had, if we had proper home group, Scripture says, I place you at the table with your enemies. It's like, no. If it's with my enemies, I want to go to drive through. And they can be in the car behind me. You know, there's no ways I want starters, main course, and dessert at a table with my enemies. Sometimes I don't even want that with my friends. Or my family. Sorry, Mom. Only joking. 
But Father God says, I don't wrong. I place you at the table with your enemies. Not to judge and condemn, but to love them so that all may be saved. Jesus says to his disciples, keep them in the church. I go, oh no, but he doesn't. He says, keep them in the world. Jesus wants his disciples to remain in the world. Not in the church or home group or cell group. Or, or, and please, again, I am not knocking church. I am not knocking home group. I am not knocking cell group. I believe in the church. I give my life to the church. I give my wife's money to the church. I give my, I give my children's time to the church. I'll give you to the church to things. You know, for me, the church is the vessel, the best vessel that God can use for, for relationship, for family, for community to see protection, honor, and glory. The church should be the most beautiful thing that an unbeliever sees and what family and connection and sacrifice and servant-heartedness is. The church is beautiful. I'm not knocking the church, but I'm saying that we have to be in the world to be able to make a difference. We have this notion that we don't want to live in the world. You know, I will live in my small corner and let the world be out there. I will live with this holiness. Let the darkness be out there. I will live over here. Let, 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 let the dirt and the filth and the sin and all of that be out there. But Jesus' life was totally the opposite. Whenever I'm getting a little bit insecure about some of the things I do, I just look at Jesus. I go, oh, Jesus, yes, I'm right behind you. Because you know, Jesus spent his time with the tax collectors. He spent his time with the people who have money. So when I go out and I have a lavish lunch with somebody in the business, I go, yes, Jesus, this is where you would be. I go, okay, let's fast forward over. But, but that's where Jesus went. So when we go to Hillbrow and when we go into the city areas and when we help the, the, the charities like Cherish and what we can with, with, with um, human trafficking and, and, and helping and lift and provide and just not bring condemnation but bringing love to the prostitutes in our city. I okay, Jesus, you set a good example so I can go and spend time with the prostitutes. Now, one of the things that I'm, I really love, but I'm not allowed to say that I love it too much, is I love the fact that Jesus made wine. Jesus made wine for the drunk people. You know, it's not as if Jesus only made wine because we're going to have sundowners. You know, two glasses, you know, more than, you know, it's like, no, Jesus made wine and he gave it to those who were drunk. That's my Lord. He is out there. He is crossing over the religious lines. He is being an example. Yet we too often have this war with the world that the world is dark and black, the world is scary, the world is sinful, the world is unsafe, the world is out there, the world is where the church should not go because my goodness we may be influenced and we may get our hands dirty. I want nothing to do with that because I am holy, I am righteous, I am am and so we set war against the very world that jesus has called us cannot love a world that we create that we we at war with and the thing is that 
often we, 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 we make this about flesh, about the things that we see in the, in the earthly realm, about the things that we see around us, the things that we don't understand, the things that we, we like or don't like, things that, that mess with how ungodly they, they may be. But Ephesians 6 verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood. So friends, let's not fight against flesh and blood. Let's not go to war with flesh and blood. Let's not go to war with things like that. But stand up and say, Father God, I choose to make my warfare about one of loving your world so that all may come to know you. Friends, it's not about flesh. It's not about what we see on the outside. It's not about appearance. It's not about geography. It's not about finances. All those things. Fighting a war against those things. It's, it's, it's just kingdom. It's about fighting Jesus. The Son of God. The perfect revelation of who God is. And Jesus chose to die on a thieves. Now, if, if I'm going to... to to die and have my, my last hours a little bit more grand, a little bit more creative. You know, I would get Brechi to help with color coordination. I'd get Janula and Co. to help with the food. I would make this a moment. And yet Jesus, the incarnation of God himself, the perfect revelation of who God is, chose to die between two thieves. And so friends, we... We can moan about our lot. We can moan about our sacrifices. We can moan with the things that are out there. About the sacrifice for, for Sunday morning. About outreach and going out and, and doing things. About having to love people that we don't really like. About going to our Ninevehs. Ash, thanks so much for sharing Nineveh with me on Thursday night. You know, sometimes just going and worshiping in public is our Ninevehs. I can stand up in a church context and, and, and preach to hundreds of people and I really don't mind it. Put me into a shopping mall or into a public place with two or three people, especially with a, a voice that sings in you know, P-flat most of the time, is part of my, my Nineveh. And this is a perfect picture of John 3.16 and these final moments. Jesus is hanging on a cross between two thieves. And we read in Luke 23, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too, whilst you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he added, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is profound. It is so absolutely amazing. You know, I... I try and understand Jesus and now I'm trying to understand the two thieves that are on either side of him. We don't even know what they stole. I don't know whether it was money that was due for a dairy farm in the free state. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I don't know whether it was for PPE. 
Maybe they stole food because they were hungry. Maybe they stole your cell phone from your car. We have no idea who the two thieves are. But Jesus takes this beautiful posture and says, I will die between both of you. And yet we declare war on people. We declare that we can't cross over this line. We cannot be with you out there. We cannot be seen with you out there. We can't love you that don't look like us. We can't befriend you who don't smell like us. And Mark, that's got no indication on your lack of judgment this morning. But the perfect revelation is Jesus, who's willing to die the most grotesque death right alongside you. And one of the thieves says, remember me. And Jesus' response is, today you will be with me in paradise. It's amazing. Jesus says, I want nothing of you. I expect nothing from you. We would have insisted that they get their life right first. I would have probably suggested they go see Joan for a sozo. You know, I understand that you want to come with me. I understand you want transition from dark to light, but you're not quite ready. This war is not quite over. You've wronged, you bad, you thief, you took the cell phone. I don't have to be here. I do not deserve this. This is not my cup to drink. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me. He doesn't set the conditions. You can come join me as soon as you scrub up, clean up, and make right. You can come join me as soon as your performance has improved. I want to see tangible change in your life before I will let you in to my social circle, to my social standing, to my church. As soon as you jump through the hoops, as soon as you qualify, as soon as you meet my agenda, I'll let you in. But this is the Messiah. This is what Israel has been waiting for. This is the crescendo to the symphony of Jesus' life and everything that he has been teaching. So friends, that's why we can't rush through and fast forward through John 3, 16 and 17. Because how often when we quote that scripture do we think of the thieves? I think it's very seldom we think of the thieves because it's so easy to think of the nice things. It's so easy that Jesus died for me that I can have life and life the full. It's so easy for me to stay on this side of the line. It's so easy for me to see my color, my situation, the, the people around me versus the sacrifice and the thieves that are on the other side of Jesus. What Jesus is doing in this moment so that some will be saved. Jesus is saying, I don't expect performance. I don't have an agenda. I don't expect anything from you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. But sometimes I'm not even willing to sacrifice two hours of my time. I'm not willing to sacrifice 
am. To change me that I can love you without a or warfare or expectation. And she forced upon him. This is the son being obedient to the father. Nobody twisted his arm. This is the man who made a crippled walk. This is the man who gave sight to the blind, who healed the lepers, who restored people's dignity. And this was an act of choice. And sometimes I think it is far beneath me but it was never beneath him. Friends, do you want to know what loving Nineveh looks like? Jesus is showing us to love the tax collectors. Jesus will show us what does it look like to love the promiscuous. Jesus is showing us to walk with a leper. Jesus is showing us. Friends, if, we, if we're really going to love the world, I think there are two things that we need to, to change. We have to stop placing ourselves between thieves. You'd never think you'd hear that one. So Stu, what do you mean? Well, it's, it's not easy. The reality is Jesus placed himself in a position to love the two thieves, but he got persecuted for it. Are we willing to go where the church does not usually go? Are we willing to go where I don't feel comfortable? Are we willing to go to our Ninevehs to be able to love the world? Are we willing to risk our reputation to be seen with people that others disagree with? Imagine if there was a pastor who was seen at Hooters or Hillbrow or something like that. Now Jesus isn't worried about what the religious people will think. He's committed to what his father will think. Are we prepared to position ourselves between thieves? Are we, are we willing to go and stand without guilt or condemnation for those around us, with people who don't look like us? And then, friends, we, we have to require nothing back. We will go out without any agenda. I will love you without an expectation for a return. I will give my life to the church. I'll give my life to following him. And it, it really is difficult. Because everything in one says, I'm, I'm happy to do something. As long as I get something back. I'm happy to invest as long as there's a dividend. As long as there's a return. But Father God's challenging me and he, he regularly does. Stuart, are you willing to do things? If nobody encourages you, if you get nothing back, if you don't get the profile or the recognition or the platform. Pulpit or paycheck. Lord, yes, here I am. Send me. 
We may be thieves and have no agenda. Are we willing as a group of friends, are we willing as a church to go to places that other people don't go? Stand your love and love our community more. My invitation to you friends is, let's go to the dark side together. And let's go to the other side together. Let's go to where you and I have not been together. What's with me? So that the world will be saved. That we can love the world without guilt or, or condemnation. Let's journey together in His awesome name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening.